America by 93 Punks and Vic Mensa. Welcome to Polyrical, a podcast of political music, a soundtrack for the resistance, a topical solution for the political revolution. I want to hear from you, so if you like what you hear, or even if you don't, you can send me an email. You can email polyrical at gmail.com, or you can follow me on Twitter. That is at polyrical. You can also check out the website polyrical.com. You'll find all the back episodes. You'll find links to make a recommendation. You can recommend a song, an artist, or a topic for a future episode. You'll also find some links there to make a donation. You can make a one-time or recurring donation to keep this podcast free and independent. Here is Lee Reed from the album The Butcher, The Banker, the bitumen tanker. This is The Sky is Falling.
a dead, I'm out of bed breath My chest pounding, surrounding, spin round it Head for a thousand thoughts and I'm coughing My air quality's just awful A philosophy top of all structure Fluctuations in movement, a consumer Producers of the fumes and the gases And the solids and liquid masses And cut back to taxes Cash but get accesses to more cash And the fachismo machismo John Wayne with pistols Fistful of the Patriot missile all set Perfectly fit for the apocalyptic shift in our existences For the big shit to hit this Last steps and last gasp of breath At last we swept by the earth like weaponry The birth of first steps of baby death Indexes Richter 16.6 We history mutant fish There's new breeds of magic being Fourth season diseases Plagues and the famine rages Sun wage war when landscapes are made Useless domain for asbestos Food groups get introduced in the chains of retailer Biological agent contaminate, taints it The supply lines in danger, face it The shit's all last days as the sun's rays blazing like lasers Gray haze pervades every space left available As nature invades amazing grace I think the sky's falling our topic of the episode the topic of the, of the episode for this episode is bodies and this isn't quite a tightly formed narrative as some of the other topics where it really focuses in on one particular story one particular idea but uh, there's going to be a, a variety a smorgasbord if you will of um, tracks and music related to bodies the first one is related to this uh, topic. It's the title of the song is Bodyguard Blanket. And I listened to this song quite a number of times before I really understood what it was about. I didn't really realize uh, as I heard this song and listened to it a number of, of times um, that Bodyguard Blanket Blanket is actually a real live product. Here's a little bit about it. School shootings are a tragic reality. While much discussion has centered around prevention, Protect, a protective and safety products company in Oklahoma, has created a product it hopes kids will use in case of such a tragedy, in case such a tragedy strikes their schools. The bodyguard blanket is designed to offer a temporary shelter during dangerous situations, particularly school shootings. While the bodyguard is also built to help protect children from falling debris during natural disasters like tornadoes, much of the marketing around the product concerns the potential for school shootings. It's the reason the blanket was created in the first place. 
Technically, the bodyguard is bullet resistant. It's made from the same materials used in military and law enforcement body armor. Instead of having kids put on a flak vest, though, it puts the material in a form that can be folded up and then unfolded to create a body shelter. It has straps that help hold it in place like a backpack. Protect posted a video of the blanket undergoing a ballistics test. This is kind of atrocious. It's atrocious that we live in a society where a product like this actually has a market. It's, uh, it's a, a, a huge um, reflection on the illnesses of our society, the, the kind of depravity, I don't know, that's not really the right word, but the, the, the fucked upness that's really the right word, of our society in this day and age and how we've learned to foster feelings of hatred towards one another that are allowed to develop and encouraged to develop to the extent that some individuals will pick up readily available weapons and indiscriminately murder other individuals. And we don't deal with this by trying to attack the root causes. Hamill on Trial, actually Hamill on Trial is the, uh, the artist um, of the upcoming song bodyguard blanket but he has an earlier song the very first song i ever heard by hamill on trial the one that got me interested in hamill is called the vines and it's about being on a road crew um of of weeders of people of of foliage reconciliation that's the word the foliage reconciliation crew that basically goes out every morning and hacks and cuts and digs and tries to uh, eliminate some noxious vines, something along the lines of kudzu. Maybe it was, in fact, kudzu. Um, and one part of the story says we never make any headway. Everything that we cut today grows back by tomorrow. And someone says, well, maybe we should start at the roots. And that's like epiphany. That's like brilliance. The bodyguard blanket is not the roots. The bodyguard blanket is the, the machete cutting off the branch of the kudzu vine. It doesn't solve the problem. It uh, provides a temporary relief, but allows the problem to continue unabated. Here is Hamill on trial from the album Tackle Box. This is Bodyguard Blanket. <laughs> Guns blazing, kindergarten slaughter. You protected your sons and daughters. The SpongeBob t shirt, our bloody splattered. Take full measures, 
if they really matter. Body gun blanket, the lead won't grip their flesh. Body gun blanket, assassins to the test. Body gun blanket shuns weapons of assault. And body gun blanket, if they die, it's not your fault. There's different views you hear on the news from the moms and dads and the NRA too. All confused, keep the kids safe at school. Should they arm the teachers, fill the halls with men in blue? America loves guns, America loves kids. There ain't no competition, cause the money's gonna win. The NRA is waving the Constitution, but a guy in Oklahoma's got the solution. Bodyguard blanket, the lead will rip their flesh. Bodyguard blanket, assassins to the test. Bodyguard blanket shuns weapons of assault. Bodyguard blanket, if they die, it's not your fault. Get back the teddy, the luncheon phone. Bodyguard blanket, they will make it home. Did you pack their school books? Shouldn't have to ask it. Bodyguard blanket, and they won't see a casket. Stable gun laws, take it to the bank. Second Amendment, and Ted Nugent to thank. For my protest, no Congress floor. Lay your kid's corpse on the NRA door. Bodyguard blanket, the lead won't rip the flesh. Bodyguard blanket, assassins to the test. Bodyguard blanket, shuns weapons of assault. Bodyguard blanket, if they die, it's not your fault. Bodyguard blanket, assassins to the test. Bodyguard blanket, shuns weapons of assault. Bodyguard blanket, if they die, it's not your fault. President Bush visited the hurricane-ravaged Gulf Coast states of Alabama and Mississippi, thanking rescue workers and speaking with residents who tearfully told him of their ordeal.
they said the city's gotten out of hand. People taking water and clothes and shoes. Some taking medicine and food because relief was far away. Relief was kept away and there were black bodies floating in the streets. Well, there was water rushing in through the cracks today and then the whole thing just came down. Maybe because recalls were all ignored when people urged that the levees get reinforced. Except for now it'll be okay. And back then it seemed okay, but there was water rushing in through the cracks. These people have the power to do right. Why don't they do right? Imagine when the American public is going to wake up to the fact that the people who own and run this country don't want to do right. They know they have everybody in this country afraid of them. People don't love this country so much. They're afraid of what their own country will do to them. Well, there are black bodies floating in the streets today. Canaries in the mine. Harvey from the album Give It Time Reflections on Change and that was Black Bodies the story of the people whose lives are on the line through no fault of their own through an economic system that doesn't support and uh, uplift everyone some people's bodies are on the line some people's bodies are in the way and they can't get out of the way when disasters strike and our responses are uh, too often wholly inadequate and we see that in Hurricane Harvey and we see that in the hurricane that struck Puerto Rico we see that in Hurricane Dorian that just devastated the Bahamas um, hurricanes that are increased in intensity by warming oceans due to human activity and human instigated climate change. Some people's bodies are in the line of fire in that sense. Some people put their bodies on the line 
I talked in a prior episode about the coal miners who are sitting and blocking a train full of coal because they were all let go from their work when their employer went bankrupt without being paid. And that coal is their paycheck. That coal is their livelihood. That coal is potentially the dollars that are owed to those miners. Blockades are a common tactic to try to um, prevent things from moving forward in order to either make a point, promote something, or to literally save lives. And this next song is about someone who put their body on the line put their body on the train tracks to save lives and what occurred to him. Here is um, a story from Democracy Now! about Brian Wilson and his ordeal and his life and his activism and putting his body on the line six months. And those are some of the headlines. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. Today we spend the hour with a man who put his life on the line at least twice, once when he served in Vietnam and again when he came back. It was September 1st, 1987. Brian Wilson took part in a nonviolent action outside the Concord Naval Weapons Station in California. He sat down on the train tracks, along with two other veterans, trying to stop a U.S. government munitions train from sending weapons to Central America. The train did not stop. Wilson lost both of his legs. Well, Brian Wilson joins us in our studio. He came to us yesterday. He's traveling the country, visiting Occupy sites, where some of his fellow protesters are also veterans. He's also been talking about his new memoir, Blood on the Tracks, The Life and Times of S. Brian Wilson. On the West Coast, Brian completed much of the tour on his hand cycle. Now he's on the East Coast. I started by asking him exactly what happened on that day in September 1987, when he was carrying out this act of peaceful resistance on the train tracks outside Concord Naval Weapons Station in California. It was a Tuesday, September 1st, 1987, and of course it, it uh, was planned by me in advance after spending much time in Nicaragua and El Salvador witnessing the uh, carnage of U.S. policy. What was happening then there? In Nicaragua Well, of course, President Reagan was, um, had his war, on, war of terror and what he called the terrorists um, in uh, revolutionary Nicaragua that was uh, had overthrown Somoza and the um, revolutionary process in El Salvador trying to oust a very repressive uh, feudalistic government. And so he was—Reagan declared there was a Soviet beachhead being formed in Latin America, which, of course, we all know. Um, is absurd, just another excuse for um, putting down self-determination processes in other countries. So we knew the weapons were coming from the Concord California Naval Weapons Station, 
35 miles east of San Francisco, and we decided to go there after many efforts of trying to get Congress to stop the funding. This whole process of petitioning Congress, which is known pretty much an oligarchic institution representing corporations, uh, we decided we would directly try to obstruct the flow of the munitions that move on trucks and trains at Concord to the, tra to the ships in Sacramento River. And so um, it's a three-mile track from the bunkers to the ship. It crosses a public right-of-way, highway, and that's where we were vigiling. We have been vigiling for three months. Many arrests had taken place. I had only been a jail support person, and I decided on September 1st, 1987, which was an anniversary of the Veterans Fast for Life of the year before on the steps of the Capitol, that two vets and I would do a 40-day water-only fast between the rails uh, to obstruct, at least temporarily, the movement of the, of the train. So um, I had watched these trains move all summer with uh, flatbed cars full of crates of white phosphorus rockets, 500-pound bombs, mortars, um, millions of rounds of ammunition. Um, and it was just getting to the point where I said I have to at least escalate my own nonviolent uh, occupation, if you will, of the tracks. And uh, we told the base what we were doing, why we were doing it, when we were going to do it, and asked for a meeting with the commander, and he refused. So at 10 of 12 on September 1st, we, the two other vets and I took our position on the rails, starting our 40-day water-only fast, knowing we would probably spend much of that in jail. Uh, there was a big sign next to our vigil that said, Penalty for blocking federal munitions trains is a year in prison and a $5,000 fine, so we knew what the consequences were. I actually—and uh, the first train was coming just before noon, first train that day. And the next thing I know, I, was, I woke up in a hospital four days later. I have no memory of what happened. Of course, I had 40 friends I were witnessing, and the other two veterans just barely got out of the way. The train was speeding. The FBI, in looking at the one video, said the train was accelerating to more than three times its five-mile-an-hour speed limit at the point of impact. Uh, we found out later that the train crew that day had been ordered not to stop the train, which was an unprecedented—basically uh, an illegal order. Why? Because they said I was going to hijack the train. Which of course, there were 350 armed Marines to protect the base. There was usually local police present when we were present on the tracks. I had never envisioned it being a dangerous action. Um, and then, while I was in the hospital, an FBI agent was fired. And after 20, almost 22 years, he was fired for refusing to investigate me and three other veterans as domestic terrorist suspects. So this was all shocking to me. It's just shocking that I, this all-American kid that grew up in upstate New York, even though I kind of shifted after Vietnam to being a, a dissenter, or my father would just say a marginal person, um, I just never imagined this happening. Of course, this, this government will do anything, we know that, but I, I would imagine it doing it to people in other countries, but not to me in this country. So it was a very interesting experience. 
Uh, when you woke up in the hospital four days later, what did you understand happened? Well, initially, I saw a lot of plants at the base of my bed, green plants, and my partner at the time was sitting next to me, and I blurted out according—well, this is what I remember, my first words. Wow, I'm in a jail cell with plants, and my family is next to the bed? And my family explained to me, honey, you are in a hospital. You got hit by the train, and I couldn't believe it. I just couldn't believe it. And then I was watching the replay on the wall television uh, for several days. They were playing it on the news, and I was watching myself be run over by the train. And it was like, well, I just, like, this is what happens to people, of course, all over the world who obstruct uh, the Yankee mad train that's trying to repress people who want to have self-determination or what have you. So it was just another part of the U.S. policy coming home very personally to me, viscerally. And um, but the day I woke up, 9,000 people showed up at the tracks and ripped up 300 feet of the tracks and stacked up the railroad ties in a very interesting sculpture. And from that day on, for 28 consecutive months, day and night, 24 hours a day, there was a permanent occupation in the tracks of sometimes 200 people with tents uh, blocking every train and every truck. 2,100 people were arrested. Three people had their arms broken by the police. This was all 24 years ago. Uh, occupation of the tracks, the police were abusive. Um, however, the trains, of course, did stop after that. It's just that they had to stop and wait for massive numbers of rests. And um, what did what did you understand um, then, as you watched the video of yourself and the train rolling over you? As it rolled over you, it sliced off both your legs. It sliced off one of my legs and mangled the other one. Um, I had a um, huge skull fracture. In fact, I have a plate in my skull right here. Uh, a piece of my skull the size of a lemon was completely dislodged from my skull and driven into and destroyed my right frontal lobe, which was the, which is why the doctors were concerned that I might die in the operating room. Brian Wilson telling his story, September 1st, 1987, telling us today as he talks about his memoir, Blood on the Tracks, The Life and Times of S. Brian Wilson. We'll be back with him in a minute. And with a song about that and about Brian Wilson, here is Dana Lyons from the album Animal with I Saw His Body. I joined the Navy cause the benefits are good I guard the white train coming through your neighborhood I saw his body I saw his body I was in the engine when he laid down on the track I heard the order and saw the captain turn his back I saw his body I saw his body 
I saw his body Moving the weapons, we're just doing a job We can't be stopping in every town Coming into Concord, it seemed like one more angry mob I saw his body That night I went and watched the local news in town The Navy spokesman said the train was slowing down I saw his body I saw his body They said the protester had served some time in Nam. The doc said he's alive, but both his legs are gone. They showed his body. They showed his body. Moving the weapons, we're just doing a job. Can't be stopping in every town. Come on into Concord, it seemed like one more angry mob. We never meant to hurt no one. I saw his body. The days that I'm at home, I take my kids to school Work hard and get good grades, don't break any rules They saw his body Sometimes it's hard to get to sleep because I know that dream comes back to me about every month or so I see his body I see his body I see his body I see his body Moving the weapons we're just Doing a job We can't be stopping in every town Coming into Concord It seemed like one more angry mob We never meant to hurt no one
rounding out our assortment of songs with a body theme. That was Ezra Furman from the album Perpetual Motion People with Body Was Made. Here are a few words from Jello Biafra from the album Machine Gun in the Clown's Hand. This is Be Patriotic, Fight the Government. Don't believe the hype. We are patriotic citizens too because we care about the long-term effects of what we do and not just short-term ass-kicking to soothe our inner child. Patriotism is defined as love of country, caring about its people, caring about the environment and how we affect other people and their ecosystems. Patriotism does not mean giving blind loyalty and a blank check to George W. Bush. Therefore, it is our patriotic duty to guard this country against people hiding behind the flag and hiding behind War on Terrorism Incorporated and God Bless America Uber Alice using the War on Terrorism to terrorize us. Bullying the first neighbor who takes down their flag, that's not very patriotic. Brandon Cruz fronting the fake dead Kennedys, who according to an eyewitness report in Norfolk, Virginia, claimed that I was a terrorist and compared me to Osama bin Laden, claiming I didn't love my country because I was opposing the Bush regime. And then D.H. Peligro supposedly dedicated Holiday in Cambodia to our troops in Afghanistan, <laughs> saying he supported the war. That's not patriotic. Censoring and silencing Bill Maher and talk show hosts like Peter Werby and trying to get people fired from universities just for saying something like, maybe we should understand people over there. That's not patriotic. Giving more and more power to spy agencies and police already proven to be totally incompetent. That's not patriotic. The TIPS program, trying to create a united Stasi of America. Each of us rat on everybody else. Maybe even get a reward or forgiveness of our credit card debts or <laughs> free trip to Disney World or something. That's not patriotic. These legislators in Florida, Pennsylvania, South Carolina saying to fight terrorism, we have to force every school kid to pray to a fundamentalist Christian God in school every day. That's not patriotic. Nor is the army of God who didn't make Ashcroft's current toilet paper roll along list of terrorist organizations, even though they sent over 200 envelopes of white powder to abortion clinics and family planning centers. I don't think they're very patriotic either. And I, for one, refuse to be bullied by all these people saying that because of September 11th, we can't laugh when something is funny anymore. Eminem dressed as Osama bin Laden. That is funny. <laughs> Dick Cheney's security detail leaving the plans in written form on how they were going to protect him at the Salt Lake City Olympics on the counter of a snowboard store. That is funnier still. John Ashcrack, in a PBS documentary slanted way far to the right, 
they said that Ashcroft was all ready to unleash a huge blitz against the adult video industry and online porn and all. If he really gets that obsessed with imposing Christian Taliban stuff in all our bedrooms, how about a million nude march on Washington? One million people rolling around on the Capitol Mall doing all those things Ashcrack says he doesn't like. Another 10,000 on his front lawn doing the same. That, my friends, would amuse me. You know the hip-hop group from Oakland called The Coup? They had a little mishap on September 11th, didn't they? Had to stop the press and have a new cover put into their new album because the old cover showed the Twin Towers blowing up on the front. Oops. <laughs> Scott Ian of the metal band Anthrax moans and groans that he felt so bad about terrorism and the Anthrax scare that he was thinking of changing the band's name to Basket Full of Puppies saying, like, I feel like it's 1937 and my name is Freddy Hitler or something. <laughs> Jerry Falwell, always good for a laugh, assumed the high comic throne when he claimed that the Teletubbies was pushing the homosexual agenda because Tinky Winky carried a purse. Remember that one? Well, both he and Pat Robertson agreed with Osama bin Laden on September 11th saying the towers went down because God is mad at America. Bush and the pretzel. Try not to laugh. Try real, real hard. And then think, why would they even admit that happened? Here was our supposedly strong rootin' tootin' cowboy president and he chokes on a pretzel. The only reason they're gonna admit that in public maybe is because something a lot worse gave him that scar on his cheek. Was it a fight with the missus? Was it blacking out because he was indulging in one of those substances he says he doesn't indulge in anymore? Also, the reports that several of these hijackers were seen days before the hijackings getting drunk in titty bars. That doesn't sound very Islamic to me. But so far, the Excellence in Comedy Award for the War on Terrorism has to go to your friend and mine's the Clear Channel Corporation who thanks to deregulation laws in the Telecommunications Act of 1996, rammed through once again by the Clinton-Gore regime with help from Newt Gingrich, deregulated the laws about ownership of the airwaves, which are technically belong to the public, so that now, instead of being only able to own one radio station, one TV station per city, you can own as many as you want to. So Clear Channel now owns 1,200 stations, 10% of the total, and they pipe in the same dreck and horrible music and dumbed down, almost non-existent, right-wing slanted news reports. And people wonder why we want pirate radio and we want internet radio. We want underground music and underground performances so you don't have a situation where Clear Channel owns the radio station and Clear Channel owns the venue and owns the promotion company and only Clear Channel events can be advertised on Clear Channel radio stations. Wrong. But 
they still have the comic relief ward because somebody with way too much time on their hands took it upon themselves to make a list and send it out to all these clear channel stations listing all the songs they felt shouldn't be played on the air anymore because they might make people think of terrorism and the tragedies of September 11th. So now, at least on Clear Channel, listeners are free from being terrorized by Obla Dee, Obla Da by The Beatles. <laughs> on Broadway by The Drifters. Johnny Angel by Shelley Fabre, maybe the worst song I've ever heard in my life, even worse than Sheryl Crow. So maybe Clear Channel's doing us a favor here. I mean, after all, three Elton John songs had to go, too. Now you can listen to Clear Channel and not be terrorized by Benny and the Jets, Daniel, or Rocket Man. I mean, that's doing me a favor. I heard one Elton John song once, and I never, ever wanted to be terrorized by him again. Also on the Clear Channel list, you won't be terrorized by What a Wonderful World by Louis Armstrong. Or, come on, people now, smile on your brother, everybody get together, try and love one another right now. Band! Like a bridge over troubled water, I will lay me down. Not anymore. Ban, ban. Might make people think of terrorism if you do that. Cat Stevens gets nailed, too, for terroristic images like Peace Train. And mourning has broken. Rock the Casbah is banned. All Rage Against the Machine is banned. Imagine by John Lennon is banned. New York, New York by Frank Sinatra is banned. And not a moment too soon for some of us, I might add. He ain't heavy, he's my brother. Gone. Banned. Terroristic. And once again, that was Jello Biafra uh, giving us a little lesson about the response or a little history about the response to 911 and its use as an excuse to do all kinds of nefarious and diabolical and devious and oppressive things here at home and around the world including banning certain music maybe temporarily maybe longer um that was deemed inappropriate at that time some of that music legitimately taking on the powers that be other bits of that music like new york new york uh kind of a big head scratcher as to why radio would ban things like that and that'll bring us to our artist of the episode the artist of the episode for this episode is public enemy Public Enemy is an American hip-hop group consisting of Chuck D, Keith Shockley, Flavor Flav, Professor Griff, and DJ Lord. Their first four albums during the late 1980s and early 1990s were all certified either gold or platinum and were, according to music critic Robert Hilburn, quote, the most acclaimed body of work ever by a hip-hop act. 
Public Enemy made contributions to the hip-hop world with sonic experimentation as well as political and cultural consciousness, which infused itself into skilled and poetic rhymes. Public Enemy held a strong pro-black political stance. Before Public Enemy, politically motivated hip-hop was defined by a few tracks by Ice-T, Grandmaster Flash, and the Furious Five, Curtis Blow, and KRS-One. Other politically motivated opinions were shared by prototypical artist Gil Scott Heron and The Last Poets. Public Enemy was a revolutionary hip-hop act basing an entire image around a specified political stance. With the successes of Public Enemy, many hip-hop artists began to celebrate Afrocentric themes. Public Enemy's brand of politically and socially conscious hip-hop has been a direct influence on a number of bands and artists. The revolutionary influence of the band is seen throughout hip-hop and is recognized in society and politics. The band, quote, rewrote the rules of hip-hop, changing the image, sound, and message forever. Pro-black lyrics brought political and social themes to hardcore hip-hop, with stirring ideas of racial equality and retribution against police brutality aimed at disenfranchised blacks, but appealing to all the poor and underrepresented, also appealing to many of people in the middle class in the suburbs as well. Before Public Enemy hip-hop music was often seen as throwaway entertainment with trite, sexist, and homophobic lyrics, Public Enemy brought social relevance and strength to hip-hop. From the album Nothing is Quick in the Desert, here is Public Enemy with the track Terrorist. They bombing that list, balling that fist, raising that fist like that, like that, like this, like this, scratching that shit. Terrorist piss, a monster that miss, avoid that trick. Lost in the abyss, searching got frisk, EDM got diss, track got flicked. Lord in the mix, ass got kicked. Doctor, doctor, this shit is sick. This shit is sick. Doctor, doctor, ass got kicked. Lord in the mix, track got flipped. EDM and got dissed. Searching got frisked. Lost in the abyss, avoiding that trick. Amongst in the mist, terrorist piss. Scratching that shit like that, like that, like this, like this. Raising that fist, balling that fist. They bombing that list, put down on that list. Terrorist. Terrorist, terrorist, terrorist.
Conversations. Where the flame? WTF. Payback. Music. Who the hell be telling you what the F they be selling you? Why the hell do you believe when you go when you leave? WTF. 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 What the this state of mind, like I'm born a second time. The masses ask the question why. Them asses spend a life behind on the MIC, the PIC. I'm against this prison industry where most of them look like me. Motherfucker, the what? The Tea Party. It made you pay for education and got no money and got you waiting. It tricks to keep the people fooled. It's something in the food, my dude About your future and where you rank And who you think and who you think Behind the banks and all them tanks The new world order is on the brink A revolution, it stops the feds And count the homeless underfed So the pharmaceutical off the meds Leaving people left for dead Looking back 80 years instead Simply blame it on the reds Pay close attention to what is said But while you listen, you watch your heads And chase the money, you chase the fame The human race is what they're playing A game of life is what I'm saying You split them up, you call them names I'm at the age, if I can't teach I shouldn't even open my mouth to speak And talking loud, and saying nothing In front and life they're doing something Feel the people, heal the people Power goes out to the people 18 to 35 is grown Can't afford to leave the home Can't afford to buy a home Can't afford to keep a home Boarded up for close cribs Based on what your bank did You see those guys advertised To call for clothes The doors are closed they slam the doors on your nose Who the hell is telling you What the hell they selling you And why the hell do you believe And where we're headed when we leave Just like the temptations, not just the singing group, 
line there was the name of that album most of my heroes still don't appear on no stamp that was public enemy with the track w t f so as i was looking for some information to share with you on this episode about public enemy i came across this um interview and this excerpt from an interview on a topic that's getting a fair amount of press today um but this interview was with chuck d of public enemy back in 1988 the interviewer asks if you get mad what do you get mad at where do you direct your anger i try to direct my anger on trying to do something constructive for my people that are at a disadvantage Right now, it's hard for me to say who I get mad at, but it goes by the moment. There's a lot of people I could get mad at, but I understand people, so there's no hatred. I just try to throw a monkey wrench in the motherfucker. It all goes back to people saying, quote, Chuck D., what kind of government system would you have here in America in 1988? I say, quote, one that says black people shouldn't have to pay taxes. It's compensation. 
Matter of fact, it's overcompensation that we need to be behind the eight ball from 1609 to 1865 and thereafter. 120 more bullshit years. Slaves are brought to this continent in 1609. 1865, 256 years later, the so-called black man was free, quote unquote, free. So that's 256 years of free labor to build this country. And then the animosity and hatred that went with the package afterwards. When I say black people shouldn't have to pay taxes, it's because we haven't been compensated. I think that's fair. Do you think that's fair? No, no, I don't, says the interviewer. <laughs> that's one thing I think should happen. Black people shouldn't have to pay taxes. The interviewer jumps in. That's a bullshit reform. And Chuck D responds. That's a bullshit reform. Also, we should be compensated $250 billion or whatever it takes to get each black family on its feet. Not saying that it will help a whole lot because there's still no brains. The slum of black America is in the middle of black America. But it would help. I'm talking about a solution, a plan. That will never happen. So we're talking fantasy. People say, well, what do you think I am? Fucking Albert Gore? If I could give you A to Z, I might as well run. But I can do it. Give me some time. So I thought that was an interesting piece, an interesting excerpt with Chuck D talking about reparations when no one was talking about reparations. And that's not exactly true. No one in the mainstream was talking about reparations. And even today, very few in the mainstream are talking about reparations. But it is in the in the mainstream a bit more than I feel like it has been in probably decades um, with the, um, the current batch of candidates for president in the United States uh, getting questioned about whether they support or oppose reparations. Here is Public Enemy off the album Fear of a Black Planet. This is one of their most well-known songs. This is Fight the Power. Yet our best trained, best educated, best equipped, best prepared troops refuse to fight. Matter of fact, it's safe to say that they would rather switch then fight!
You're quite hostile. And that was Public Enemy from the album It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back. That track was Prophets of Rage. Prophets of Rage is no longer only a great track from Public Enemy. It's now a great band in and of itself. Prophets of Rage is an American rap rock rap rock supergroup. Formed in 2016, the group consists of three members of Rage Against the Machine and Audio Slave. Tim Comerford, Tom Morello, and Brad Wilk, two members of Public Enemy, DJ Lord and Chuck D, and rapper Be Real of Cypress Hill. And I featured Prophets of Rage on a previous episode, and I've also probably dropped a track or two here or there from them as well. Here's their brand new track, just released last week. This is Pop Goes the Weapon. This episode of Polyrical. Remember, you can reach out to me, send me an email at polyrical at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Polyrical, and you can check out all the back episodes at the website polyrical.com. You can also watch and listen to me record this 
uh, podcasts live, you can go to twitch.tv slash unrelated things to see that happen. Here is Bonnie Raitt from the compilation album by this fracking album. This is Hell to Pay. Thanks for listening. Mr. Don't want you to know Think you're taking this about